This is your woo-woo best friend, a show about attainable transformation. Hi there, it's Andy, and this is your woo-woo best friend. Welcome back to the show. Oh my gosh, this is going to be a juicy one today. I have an interview for you. I'm going to introduce you to our guest in just a few moments. Before we get there, I wanted to tell you about a couple of things. I kind of have a list for you today. This past Friday, we had our very first live event. It was a podcast recording and networking experience in partnership with this really amazing women's club for creators in downtown Los Angeles called Urban Unity. We had six panelists on the show, and you're going to get to hear that taping next week. It's going to drop next Thursday. Our panelists were Michelle Fawn, Alex Michael May, Brandy Freely, Michaela Diatois, Haleta Alamu, and Savannah Uten. You can learn a bit more about each of these women over on our Instagram page. We've got a photo of each of them, a bio on each of them. And I have to say the conversation was so synergistic. We went really deep, really fast. We ended up talking for almost two hours. We're going to condense that a little bit for your listening pleasure next week. But I just am so filled up by having that opportunity to be in person, having an event like that and having a conversation like that. And for those of you that were able to join us live, thank you for coming. It was such an honor to hold that space. Secondly, I want to let you know, we introduced for the very first time at that event, our brand new club. It's called Club Cascara. It is a collaborative education and mentorship space available to you digitally. It includes rituals for well-being, resources for conscious and creative businesses, ideas for creation, inspiration for growth, and I think my favorite part, an opportunity to develop really aligned and meaningful friendships. The intention is for this to be an inspiring space for entrepreneurs, creatives, and leaders of all kinds. So I invite you to step into this community with me, this group of really inspiring women ready to find new ways of being, new ways of showing up for ourselves. Each month we will gather live and the intention is that you feel supported in your business and your creative process and in your overall well-being. I have a link in this episode's show notes for you to join us. It is really low priced, by the way. And you can also go to WeWe Studio and find it at wewestudio.com slash club. So that's the second thing I want to tell you about. Again, it's really low priced. It's $23 a month. And we'll get to meet together once a month. And then you'll have an opportunity to be invited to other future events and get discounts on things like our retreats, etc. Okay, so I want to mention that to you. Then lastly, my new book is officially now available for pre-order. It's called Elemental Nature-Inspired Rituals to Nourish Your Life. It is for nature lovers, for wellness enthusiasts, for modern mystics, for anyone who really cares about disconnecting from the digital world and reconnecting to our natural surroundings 
for inspired moments of inner peace, which we all truly deserve. And here's the thing. Pre-orders really change the game for authors. So if you order before April 18th and send an email to my team at team at weewegirl.com, we have a special thank you gift that will be coming for you. Okay. Our episode today is sponsored by Herbal Face Food. Herbal Face Food's mantra is you eat what you put on your skin. All of the products in the collection are 100% plants with no synthetic or man-made ingredients and actually are totally safe to eat. Up until this point, we've been forced to face what the founder of Herbal Face Food calls the skincare dilemma, where we have to choose between a lab-created synthetic chemical product that may produce really effective short-term results, but can be quite toxic in the long-term, or organic plant-based products that may be really safe, but don't do a lot more than just moisturizing your skin. The reality of this product is that dilemma we can now officially say we have moved beyond this dilemma. This particular product is the most potent anti-aging, multi-correctional, antiviral skincare product on the market. It's not a magic potion. It's simply the best of plant science at work. I have been using this product now since last fall. I used it leading up to my wedding to specifically work on hyperpigmentation and some redness and rosacea as well. And I have to say, None of the issues I was experiencing around the redness rosacea have come back, and my hyperpigmentation is virtually gone. It's really, really incredible. I have a discount code for you. It is WeWeGirl, O-U-I-W-E-G-I-R-L, for 20% off the Herbal Face Food Collection and the code WeWeGirlCream. You can use that code, WeWeGirlCREAM, cream, for the brand new product, The Cream when you go shop the collection online. Now let's get into the episode. My guest today is Dr. Elisa Hallerman. She has a brand new book out called Soulbriety, Heal Your Trauma, Overcome Addiction, and Reconnect with Your Soul. I love this conversation so much. In Soulbriety, Dr. Hallerman shares her own soul journey from being addicted to drugs and alcohol, suffering from PTSD and chronic trauma, to changing her career entirely and going back to school in her 40s. We're going to talk about the time she got fired by one of her movie star clients. Through storytelling, Elisa weaves in comprehensive information about substance abuse, mental illness, eating disorders, grief, suicide, and many other current and incredibly important topics using examples from her own life and stories from her vast experience on working with clients. With addiction and suicide rates higher than ever before, it's so important to be educated on what to look for and how to treat and navigate the overwhelming landscape of addiction. So content warning, we are going to be talking about substance abuse, we're going to be talking about drugs and alcohol, and we are going to be talking about my eating disorder experience as well. In Elisa's book, her goal is to help you understand why, how, and where to start to do deep traumatic healing and to begin to understand the dark nights of the soul and to learn to not be afraid of our pain and discomfort. Let's get into the conversation. Welcome to the show, Dr. Elisa Hallerman. 
Hello, Dr. Halliman. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much, Andy. I'm so excited to be here. It's totally a pleasure. And this is truly one of my favorite conversations. It's a journey I have been on myself over the years of my adulthood into my current reality. And your book has been a really powerful one for me. I was just sharing with you. I've been reading it. The stories are there's just so much good stuff and so much. Yeah. And there's just so much that I'm personally going, Oh, right. Yes, that's it. That's it. Um, so tell me a little bit about, tell me, let's, let's talk about your journey first, which you've had an incredible life, but tell me a little bit about your journey, perhaps an abbreviated version for someone who's just Mm -hmm. discovering your work. Okay, well, I I didn't really I didn't start drinking um, or using drugs until I was seventeen. It was the first time I had a drink of alcohol, and from the very first time, I was completely drunk, and that is the only way I like to drink. Like there was no sipping alcohol. I never liked the taste of it. I was like, oh, this is what this does. This is the only use for it. I will just want to be drunk every time I have a there I have an opportunity to have a cocktail. And drugs really started getting into the picture after that. So after college, after law school, I'd say is when the harder drugs started to come into place. And that was Really, once I was living out in Los Angeles, which was after law school and after working as an attorney for a little bit in New York City, and I'd experienced something really traumatic. And I think that there were definitely traumas that coupled on top of each other from childhood. Nothing that, and I talk a lot about this in the book, that I would have pointed to and said, this is a trauma, like I would imagine a trauma to be, like we all have this image of it has to be a disaster or an assault or a bad accident. And there's obviously many other different types. And so when that happened and I was suffering from PTSD and didn't know it, drugs and alcohol became my solution to feeling better or numbing out or getting out of my skin quickly. And that progressed over a period of time for a number of years, about eight or nine years. And what started out first as fun or just being social or so I thought, or just quote unquote partying, as we like to say, became a really dark and really solo experience of isolation and a lot of pain and suffering. And eventually I got sober in 2002, 20 years ago. And from there, I had a career in Hollywood as an entertainment, in the entertainment industry as a talent agent. And my career really took off. And the more external things, more shiny new toys, the more they're there, the more things I accomplished, the more quote unquote success it looked like I was having on the outside, which I, which I was, 
the more disconnected I started to feel on the inside. And that really led me at five years sober to figure out what that was, what was missing, what internally I still had to do. But I was very unclear as to like the way in to sort of do that work. And so eventually I decided to go back to school at night while I was agenting. I started to learn more. I was curious about what else was out there. I started to pull the threads of different things that seemed interesting to me. And long story, very, very short, even though it's not that short, (laughs) I um, ended up retiring from the entertainment business and set out to work in the field of recovery. Then going back to school, getting a master's and doctorate in psychology and focusing on trauma and neuroscience. And that's where my discovery of soul and soul-centered work really started, was in graduate school, studying depth, D-E-P-T-H, psychology and archetypal psychology. And um, so that's where it kind of, that is the very short version. Yeah. Yeah, you tell a story in the book about your Hollywood experience and getting to a place where you were feeling shame for basically just existing in the world. You write in the book that you felt shame for being a woman who dares to sit in a room with men, shame for having a brain, shame for being ambitious. And a part of that shame led to you creating what you call in the book a work mask, which was basically a protective shield that you wore when you showed up every day. And I think a lot of us show up in the world with some sort of mask or shield. How do we start to break through that experience of shame and get to a place where we can step into our vulnerability, begin to break that shield and mask down so that we can begin to heal? Mm, I love that question. And no one has asked it as beautifully as you just did. You're welcome. You know, the shame wasn't caused by those things necessarily. The shame was the narrative that I built internally from the other things that had happened to me and from my previous drug use. And it was right. A narrative that I had created that only I could really heal. But what happens is when you have shame, when you're insecure, when you think that your worth is dependent upon others or other things, you become less and less vulnerable. And when you're less and less vulnerable and less your authentic self, the more you start to believe the mask that you're wearing. And a healthy mask is okay. It's normal for us to show up in a work situation a certain way. You know, if I'm going to show up as Dr. Hallerman at a meeting, I'm going to show up as a certain, you know, in a certain persona. And I might be different at home or in a relationship or with my friends, right? So a healthy mask is boundaried. That's okay. We definitely use them as a way to stay boundaried and appropriate. It's when we start to believe that we are the mask. It's when I started to believe that Lisa Hallerman, the talent agent representing so on and so on, was all that and lost sight of 
who Alisa really was and is when it became a problem. And that's how I started to feel. That's why I started to feel more and more disconnected from my sense of self, regardless of the fact that I was sober. Tell me a little bit about the story of which I love this story in the book, too. And I want you to share it with our listeners. It's the story of when you had the breakup or the firing from Vince Vaughn, who was one of your clients, and you you see through the process, which I'm imagining it took some time, but you see that this is actually one of the best things that ever could have happened to you. Tell us a little bit about having something really shitty happen and then realizing that it was exactly what you actually needed. Yeah. So, so I'd represented Vinny at that point for like at least 12 years and he was without a doubt, not just one of my biggest clients, but one that took up the most time, not just literally like on the phone or afterwards, but the most space in my head, thinking about it, worrying about it. What is he going to think about this? How are we going to manage this? How are we going to grow this? What are we going to do next? All of these things, just so much space in my world. And we were very close for a very long time and sort of came up together. His success was my success and vice versa. And, and then, and then it gets to a point where, you know, he has his journey and that he's had, has to go on. And there were other things at play, of course. And it was around that time where I started to realize like, yeah, I love what I do, but I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling lost. I'm feeling disconnected, like I was saying from Elisa. And so I remember one night going to sleep thinking, how am I going to get out of this? Like, you can't fire your movie star clients. Then what are you? Right. And I just, I was, I just felt stuck. I didn't, I didn't really have a solution. I just felt stuck in, in this world. And so I obviously wouldn't have left and I obviously wouldn't have, you know, fired him. So it became, I think, this thing where I was feeling a certain way, he was feeling a certain way. And through a series of circumstances, energetically, that was probably in the air. And when he was pulling away prior to him actually firing me, it was more and more obvious that that was going to happen. And that went on for a few months. And I already knew I was so angry that he was doing it this way. You know, it's like kind of like in any, when any relationship ends, you're like, I wish it could have ended nicely. And it's like, well, that's not how relationships end. (laughs) They don't end with a nice little bow usually. And so by the time we actually had the conversation. I was so angry at the time that that this had gone on for that I was just screaming and ranting and yelling like a lunatic, which I then had to go make amends for because that's what sober women do. And, but it, the minute it was done, the minute the cord was, you know, broken, as upset as I was, 
And as devastated as I was for what it meant, not just for me, but for my company and for the business in general, um, there were a lot of people counting on, you know, that relationship. And it wasn't just about me by any means. And so, but there was a sense of huge relief for me right away. And that allowed space in my mind, in my heart, in my soul to really open up. And I had more time to start thinking about what I needed to do. And that's what happened. I made a couple of wrong turns in between before I knew what I was doing, but for sure. That's the path of evolution, isn't it? We make we make the turns and we keep making them until we start to see the path for us. Yeah. I mean, it was exactly what I needed in my life. It was the biggest gift that I could have gotten at that time. And, um, you know, Vinny and I are still friendly. We, we, we've since discussed it and it's pretty, you know, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much power in that and getting to a place where you're like, okay, that's where we were. That's where I was. This is what I had to this is this is the breakdown that I had to have in order to get to yeah. this place where I am today and we're good now. That's that's really important. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's just a growing experience, right? Um it was just a growing experience for both of us. We were both, you know, trudging a new path and looking at things differently and he was having enormous success and it was just, you know, what was meant to be at the time, but the underlying friendship and, you know, all the achievements that we had together, we were able to come back around and really be grateful for that and celebrate those. Mm, yeah. So such good stuff when you can get there. So good. I am. Took a minute. Yeah. <laughs> as it does, right. As it does. I am interested in your perspective on trauma in regards to family systems and I'll preface this question with just sharing this. I, I made a decision in 2018 to take the sober path. And when I made the decision, I had made it, I had made a decision to take, to have a, a month of sobriety. And mm -hmm. there wasn't, there wasn't a, a big thing that had happened, but there was a lot of little things that had happened. And I was like, I, I mm -hmm. need to give it a month. And after a month, I was like, oh, wait, no, this is, this is actually something that needs to be a, a for real, real. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I find that when folks ask me, they're like, okay, what was like the big blow up thing that happened? And I'm like, well, I did have like a bad night where I had like way too much champagne at a party. And then the next day was like, dude, I need to take a month. Like, this is not, this is not good. Um, mm -hmm. But I reflected back, of course, years into the process about the things that had gone on in my own family system. I'd had an eating disorder when I was young. And you tell a story in the book about a patient who you were working with who'd been ad admitted to the hospital. She had fainted. She, had, she was dehydrated. She was malnourished. She was experiencing an eating disorder. Her family was experiencing that eating disorder. And you talk about that her disease is part of the family and that what she's moving through is it's bringing awareness to something that's been bubbling up under the surface of the entire family system. And that explanation really struck me and really got me thinking about how I had, how I had allowed the family system and the traumas within that system 
to manifest in a variety of different behavioral addictions like the eating disorder, like alcohol, like drugs. So I'm interested in your thoughts on family systems, trauma, and how that can play out and, and what, to, what to look for and how to process. That's a really big question, but I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah. So basically, I always say when someone comes with, you know, what we, what in, in the clinical community, they call the identified patient. And I look at it as the identified disorder or disease. There's no one patient when I'm working with a family, um, because it's happening to everyone. It's not as if, oh, Sally is in the middle of the circle and she's the problem and we need to fix her and all eyes are on her and we're all pointing our fingers and what are we going to do about this issue in the middle of the circle? And I always say, no, no, she is part of the circle and what's in the middle of the circle is the addiction or is the disease. And that is what we have to look at. With trauma, right, there's generational trauma. And sort of what that's saying also is that parents or caregivers are doing the best that they can based on their own family of origin, based on their own experiences, their own upbringing, and their own underlying traumas that might have extended outside of their own family of origin, and their own underlying belief system and what they have been taught to do and what they've learned to do. But all these books and all this information and even the word trauma was not discussed 20 years ago when I got sober. No one told me I had PTSD. So the family really has to, in order to let one person heal, everyone has to get in their own lane and also look at their own healing and their own individual journey. Because what happens is if you imagine that freeway and every family member's in their own lane and they're all moving forward in the same direction, there's going to be that they're all moving together as one. If they start jumping into the other person's lane, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. And I'm not saying don't parent. That's of course, you know, but parent with the proper boundaries, not from an emotional place of being punitive. And so if you're not looking at your own work, then you're really not sure what's yours and what's theirs. So I sometimes won't suggest that families jump into family work right away when one person gets into treatment because A, that person who went to treatment isn't self-aware enough to know what's theirs and what's maybe a parent. And the parents aren't self-aware enough to know what's theirs that they're projecting onto mm. their kid. And so I think that you have to reframe it for families who all the time are saying, yep, that makes sense. I get that. It's not easy to do, but it's a requirement to work with me that everybody's going to get in their own lane and have their own 
path of healing, whatever that looks like and whatever we decide that should look like. Yeah, so important. Yeah, when I when I was going through each of the different each of the different phases of my own journey, when I was healing from my eating disorder, I really had a quite a breakdown with both of my parents and was like, I can't I can't engage with either of you while I go through this because mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know as a 20-year-old that what they had going on was was projected into my experience at the level that it was. But I was like, all I know is I can't deal with either of you. Well, it's great that you knew that and you were able to put that boundary up, which is often what happens. And a family will take that as really offense. They'll take offense to that. Yeah. And they'll be angry about it and they'll feel shame and blame, like they're being blamed And actually that's not the case at all. It's just that you knew you had to walk through this door and you knew how hard it was going to be. And whatever it was that they were bringing to the table wasn't feeling supportive emotionally in the way that you needed it to. Yeah. And so had they been doing their own work at the time, they would have been able to show up in the way that you needed them to. Totally. But to no fault of their own, they didn't know any of this. Yeah. They yeah, they definitely knew none of it. And I I felt like I moved through that treatment rather I mean, I had I had been suffering from anorexia and bulimia from like 15 to 20. So it had been like five years. And then mm-hmm. it was in six months I was on the other side of it and and never looked back. But I did have to have that like hard break with both of my parents for not forever, but for a, about two years, I was like, I really just need need time from you all. And I didn't consider it to be a boundary then. I didn't know that I was setting a boundary. I was just like, I got to go do my own thing for a bit. And on the other side of that, when both of my parents started to have more awareness of their own shit, I was so I was way more prepared to to invite them back into my life and to be a support to them as they moved through their their stuff because of what I had recognized in my own experience. And then when I decided many years later to, to take the sober path, both of my parents were a little bit like, this is interesting. We're not really sure why this, why you're choosing this. We don't see that there's anything wrong with you. And I had to really decide like, am I, do I need to set that boundary again? Or am I good to go through this and engage with them in a new way? And I was able to do that, but it, it, you know, that was, it truly was about 20 years later that I made that decision and I was able to process it in a very different way. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, we, especially as a 20 year old, like you don't have enough of the language to be able to say that. And as we get older, right, we have maturity, we have more life experience. So we're able to, and you had also done a lot of recovery work. Yeah, lots of it. So maybe- Right. So by the time you had gotten sober from drugs and alcohol, you had already been doing a lot of recovery work. Um, so I think that's that's beautiful. But yes, it's it takes t- it's not it's not a one and done thing. You know, families are constantly healing. And if we're not careful, we fall back into the same roles that we've always had. And, you know, and if you're not doing your own trauma work, then those buttons, those triggers are going to get pushed by your family, first and foremost. Totally. 
first and foremost, you were interviewed recently for Oprah Daily about wholeness, and you spoke about the pursuit of meaning, following the directives of the soul, connecting to the wisdom of your inner world. Can you talk a bit about about that? Yes. So when I found... When I found depth psychology and archetypal psychology and started doing work that was oriented around the unconscious and really looking at the approach to suffering as non-pathologizing, but rather strength affirming and really being able to understand that the things that we were, that were happening to us, the experiences that we were, that we were having that is where the wisdom comes from that there's no there there it's in it's in the moments it's in the experiences it's more elusive than that and so i often refer to soul as a meaning making machine because if you're doing the soul work inevitably you're creating meaning and in the book in the back of the book the last chapter i talk about the the soul journey and the 12 steps that we go through and figuring out where you are on that and experiencing those trials and tribulations and those life moments that we're all going to have, whether it's grief or loss or heartbreak or so on. And it's not about those things not happening. It's about how we're going to show up for them and what we've learned from them. And then more importantly, how we can give back to others who are suffering because that's the ultimate connection is having an understanding about yourself and then giving back to others. And so to me, continuing to care for the soul, understanding dark nights and not being afraid of them knowing that each step along the way is going to help you cultivate more and more wisdom as a way of what I call growing down instead of growing up, but really Mm -hmm. growing down into who we are, into the depths of our soul, that that is essentially the only way that I have found to make meaning in my life of all of it of all of it. And that's not to the, you know, to the exclusion of any other modality out there or certainly any spiritual program out there. But for me, it became about it being the golden thread through all of it for me. Soul work and looking at life through the lens of soul really gave me a way of having an understanding that I could show up for myself and be the hero of my own story. And that's truly what your method, the sobriety method is all about. It's about alchemizing pain into purpose, pausing in the darkness, considering different ways of knowing, really allowing ourselves to look inward more than we look outward. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, we're so, for me, it was, you know, I had a hard time differentiating between, okay, well, what is spirituality as opposed to what is soul? What is spirit as mm-hmm. opposed to soul? I didn't come to the table in grad school with really thinking much about soul at all. 
And I had a sense of spirituality and which I certainly dove into in my sobriety and worked really hard on as part of my 12-step program. But what I began to learn about is over time when soul and spirit used to be spoken about by philosophers and others as and theologists about being very separate and distinct over time in modern times they've become interchangeable but being able to go back and look at well what were the differences back then and really understanding that that gave me a lot of clarity as to what the difference was in a way that I could work with both. They're, they're both equally as important, but for me, they're not interchangeable. They need to be done together. And soul obviously is something that you can't really define and it's a bit ethereal and everyone has to have their own definition when I talk about mine. But it was really important to sort of know that it wasn't something outside of myself that I was seeking, that it wasn't a power greater than myself, that it wasn't this connection to other. That does exist. And I love that and probably wouldn't be sober without it. But to make meaning and to find purpose in my daily life, I needed to do that through soul work. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing your work with us. Tell our listeners a little bit about where they can find you, where they can get the book, your Instagram, all that good stuff. You can buy the book anywhere books are sold, in an actual bookstore or on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, wherever you choose to shop. And you can find me at at Dr. Alisa Hallerman on Instagram and my website, which is where I talk more about Recovery Management Agency, the company that I have and lots of other cool stuff and upcoming sobriety cool classes that we're going to have. And that's at drhallerman.com is the website. Thank you so much, Elisa, for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. Until next time. Until next time. Thank you so much to Dr. Hallerman for joining us today. Thank you, my dear listener, for showing up for our show, for being a part of this community. If you are interested in joining us inside of Club Cascara, you can join now. We have details on the membership in the show notes. It is $23 a month for an intimate gathering online, virtually, plus opportunities to hang out in person in Los Angeles for future live events and discounts to things like our retreats and our other mastermind experiences and other offerings inside of WeWe Studio. So come on, it's going to be such an amazing experience to be together inside of Club Cascara. If you have not yet left us a review or if you are new to our show and really enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me and to our small team if you would kindly drop into the app that you are listening to this show on and give us a review. You can either give us stars if you're listening on Spotify, for example, 
you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and write a review and tell us a little bit about what you loved about the episode, what you'd like to hear more of in the future. Finally, I will be back again next Thursday. We have a new episode that drops every Thursday. Next week, you will get to hear the taping of our event with our incredible panel from our collaborative event in downtown Los Angeles. And as I close, happy Women's History Month, celebrating that all month long, sending much love to each of you for showing up here today, for focusing on taking good care of yourself inside and out. Can't wait to see you again super soon. Take care. Mm -hmm.